0: Hi, everybody. It's so great to be with you. Uh, Welcome to church. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity. We're very glad to have you with us. And before we get into the Bible, spend some time together uh, worshiping, I want to mention a few updates or reminders anyway that I believe Chris shared with all of you last week. The first of which is that as of August 1st, our service times are going to be changing. For those of you who have been worshiping with us in person, we're going to be worshiping at 9, 11, and 6 p.m. as of August 1st, and we would be so excited uh, to see you all there worshiping with us in person. Uh, Speaking of, Chris also mentioned that August 15th would be our final online Sunday service video. And now we know that for those of you who've been worshiping with us from far and distant places, from places outside of Atlanta, that that likely comes as some sad and disappointing news. Uh, But here's the upside. We are so thankful to finally be at a place in this pandemic, at least for now where we can encourage people back into local church, into local community, which we believe y'all is really important. We are, Paul says, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. Meaning, something really essential happens when we come together to worship, take communion, and pray for each other. And so we want to encourage you, wherever you are, to find a group of people where that's possible for you. And if you're here in Atlanta and a part of this community, we want to welcome you back home. We look forward to seeing you on August 2nd here in person. Trinity parents, we also want uh, you to know that I believe this week is our final Sunday of doing kids' videos. Uh, And while that may be sad, on the one hand, we'll miss those puppets. On the other hand, we are very excited uh, to be at a place where we could lift the registrations for kids' ministry. There are no more capacity restrictions, which means that we're wide open and very excited to welcome your kiddos back to church. So we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, if you have Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. We'll read. And then we'll pray and see what the Lord has for us. John 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, They began to say, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, thank you, God, for the gift of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your promise to speak new life through very old words that these stories, Lord, they come to us over and over again and do things that we neither know always how uh, to anticipate or can see on the surface. And so right now, Lord, we ask, prepare our hearts, our minds, give us the space that we need to hear you, to learn from you, where our hands, Lord, feel like they are tightly closed or our hearts feel in some ways closed off. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you lay hands of peace on us, help us to open up ourselves to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. So this is a really familiar story and a really important story. It's one of the seven signs stories of John. There are quite literally endless amounts of wisdom available to us through this story, things that could be said about it. And yet for today's purposes, I wanna hone in on just like one particular thing that stood out to me anyway, at least in this time of reading the story. Uh, here's, here's what happens. Jesus is uh, with his disciples. John tells us in his version of the story anyway that they go up on a mountain and while they're there, a crowd gathers and it occurs to Jesus, of course, that they're in a remote place. There is not a lot of food available or any food available to them for a long way away and they're going to be there for a while. Jesus is going to be teaching. And so he looks at one of his disciples. He looks at Philip and he asks him what I think is a really interesting question. He says to Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people to eat? And Philip says what any of us would have said in response, we can't buy food for all these people to eat, it would cost a fortune to feed all of these people. And then similarly Simon uh, comes up, or Andrew rather, who is Simon Peter's brother, Andrew comes along and says, well there's this kid who has this little bit of food but it's clearly not enough Uh, to feed all these people. We don't have enough money and we just don't have enough stuff. We don't have enough of what we need. and So here's what I want to focus our attention on uh, today. When Jesus asks Philip the question, where are we going to buy food for these people to eat? Uh, John tells us actually that Jesus already has something else in mind. I think what Jesus intends to do is not figure out where they're actually going to buy food, but rather he's trying to like expose something, a mentality or a mindset that he knew rightly was at work, deeply entrenched in the disciples and I think uh, in all of us, which is this. I have to, we have to, or so we think, buy what we really need. And when what I have doesn't seem like enough, well, then I have to buy more. That's a kind of like baseline operating assumption in the world for so many of us, and it was also true in the first century. Even though something like consumerism, which is what that is, if I don't have it, I need to buy it, even though that would have looked vastly different, of course, for the disciples and those living in the first century, it was still at play, it was still a thing for them, just like it is for me and for you. So what I want us to think about together this morning is our devotion to and our dependency on money and things. So congratulations if this is one of your first times tuning in to Trinity. Um, you, you picked Money Sunday, uh, but here's the good news. We're not gonna talk about tithing, so we're not gonna be asking uh, you for money. I don't think that was the issue at play at all in this text. Uh, the disciples weren't struggling with faith or generosity. Really, you could say arguably they didn't do anything wrong Rather, Jesus was just drawing out of them, and I think by, all, by extension, all of us trying to help us see something, which is that in the world, money operates like a controlling force. We rely on it for the provision of our needs. We are sort of formed, shaped, made to believe that we really have to have it in order to have what we really need. It drives things here and what Jesus wanted to see, wanted rather to help the disciples see, was that in the kingdom of heaven we're playing by a different set of rules. Money doesn't operate the same way and it is certainly not the force that drives things and makes things happen. So if we want to increasingly live in the way of Jesus and by the Spirit, What we're going to have to do, y'all, those of us who are living, all of us, regardless of how much money or stuff we have, every single one of us is living in a culture that is absurdly materialistic and obsessed with money. And therefore, if we want to be people who are following in the way of Jesus, we have to have a habit of regularly examining our lives with respect to how those forces are shaping us, who they're making us to be, and into whose image they are making us to be. Let me also just say this before we get into it. Um, This is true whether you have a little or a lot of money. And I'm going to put myself today, have put and continue to put myself right alongside each and every one of you. Um, I am by global standards a wealthy person. I own my car and my home. I am in that way extraordinarily privileged compared to so many of my brothers and sisters around the world. And I like stuff. So that just means as a disciple of Jesus, I get to do what you also get to do, which is choose to see a moment like this in the Bible as Jesus' gift and grace to me, where he's going to like ask for some space to dig around a little bit, show me some things, and call me to examine myself. Because the temptations we all feel are very, very real. All that to say, we don't have to feel defensive. We can like open our hands before a very good and gracious God and say, Come Holy Spirit. Jesus was not shy about talking about money. He actually talked about it um, a lot, directly and uh, indirectly. And these are some of the probably more familiar things that he said about money. For example, in his Sermon on the Mountain, one of uh, the most like brilliant and famous sermons in all of human history, if not the most, Jesus says this: "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other." or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. In another place in the Gospels, Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is why Paul would say later in a letter like 1 Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and this is just of course a sampling of the things the Bible has to say um, about money. And I've heard a lot of people throughout my life sort of emphasize the fact that what Jesus was really talking about and elsewhere in the Bible is uh, not money so much itself but rather the love of or the pursuit of money. That that's the thing and Paul says it directly, right, like money's not bad, it's just the love of money that, that can be the root of all evil. In other words, money, like power, is a kind of neutral thing. And I just want to say this uh, about that statement or that mentality. Um, Money may in fact be in and of itself a neutral thing. But we're actually not doing ourselves any favors to pretend that it doesn't inherently pose a threat to my life with God, because it does. Jesus seemed to believe that it would. So while in and of itself it's not necessarily bad or good, it is in that way neutral, it's not neutral in its impact or its effect or the potential of its impact or effect on all of us. Fire is also a neutral thing. It's like, you know, good, you have to have it to make food, to stay warm, it does a lot of really good things. But it. It's also really powerful, and you got to watch it really closely because it will turn on you really quickly. And the moment that it comes outside of its boundary, the place where it's meant to be, it's really extraordinarily destructive in a way other so-called neutral things would not be. I think we're meant to think of money sort of similarly. It is neutral in the way that fire is neutral. I don't let my kids play with it. And when we play with it, or when we have it, Maybe we're meant to exercise a degree of caution, a strong degree of caution. So money is not bad, but our devotion to, our dependency on money, which runs so closely alongside of it, and our default assumption that it has the power to provide for what we need, that's the thing we have to examine and be really careful about. Do we assume that? Is that assumption at work in our lives? I think what Jesus wanted his disciples to see, because this was like lesson learning day, right? Not so much correction day as like lesson learning day, was that if they were going to live with him and do the things that he was doing, this devotion to or dependency upon money would be an issue, it would be an inhibitor. Because if their assumption was that that was the thing, what the world was after, those pursuits, if they really had the power to provide for people and give them what they need, if that was their default assumption, that that would actually inhibit their life with God and their experience of the kingdom of heaven. Like, had the disciples had the money that they needed to pay for food for everybody that day, they would have missed out on the opportunity to see the kingdom of heaven come in the powerful way that it did. And there's a lesson for us in that, y'all. What is our own version of that very same thing? When was the last time you were in a place where you had to rely on God's provision for what you needed or it wasn't going to happen? If it's been a really long time since we've been in a similar place, then I think there's an invitation from the Lord today. And he's actually trying to say something to us, which is, you have put money in my place in some of these ways. Now that being said, I have to give a kind of disclaimer. Uh, I'm not at all suggesting that we should forsake our jobs and our like, God-given responsibilities so that we can live by faith and put ourselves more intentionally out on the edge. Uh, I have known people throughout my life who have made really foolish decisions. Uh, claiming to be doing it as an act of faith. For example, buying property that you can't afford, either as an individual or as a church. And you know, it's supposed to be some sort of um, act of faith because God will surely and most certainly provide when really what you should have done is um, acknowledge the fact that you didn't have the money, that you couldn't afford the thing that you were doing. That's not faith, that's just bad accounting is what I'm trying to say. And that's not what God has called us to. Christians should have jobs, save money, and pay their bills for the same reason that we should take medicine because God has given good provision for us in these ways. He's provided for us. So that's not what we're talking about It's some like extravagant or foolhardy approach to faith. Jesus is calling us to examine that we are more reliant however on it than we should be, more reliant on money and stuff than we should be. And what are we going to do with the problems that it can't fix? If we are so practiced at bringing our need to money and expecting it to solve things for us, what will we do when we run into the problems that money really can't help with? What will we do when it fails us or turns on us? Because I will submit to you, that's what will happen. That's what happens with every idol. Idols may not be real, but they are powerful. The psalmist says about idols in uh, the Psalms, a couple of different Psalms. The psalmist writes, um, "Those who worship them become like them. They don't have hand; they have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they do not walk." In other words, idolatry of this kind when we idolize something and put it in God's place or give it a controlling power over my life that it ought not to have. We become like the thing. We have hands, but we become less feeling, less compassionate. We have feet, but we cannot walk with the same kind of purpose with which Jesus walked. So there's a warning. Like, are we being made into its image, the image of consumerism? A consumerism has a... A plan for your life. It does. It's a, it's a force with its own plans and purposes. And the real trap of, of wealth and materialism is that once you kind of get to the top where you start earning whatever to you feels like enough, there's this pressure to stay there, to keep doing it or otherwise you start to feel like you're failing or you've lost something. And it's that pressure that sort of keeps the cycle going. And so what we're called to do as Christians is to like examine our pressure points. Do I feel driven in a way that would cost me something in my life with Jesus? Have I been being driven in a way that is costing me something in my life with Jesus? Who do I look like in the way that I live? There's a piece that I remembered by Andy Crouch. He wrote it a number of years ago, and I'm going to read you an excerpt of it before we close. Uh, It's called Consuming Passions. We normally don't read really long excerpts like this, but I'm going to read it to you because I I think it's really good. It's a bit of satire, meaning uh, Andy here is using humor in order to expose or to help us see something true about ourselves but it's not autobiographical and that feels important to say. Many times over the course of my life as I refined my taste in churches, just as I had once refined my taste in toothpaste, I had to shop for a new church. Fortunately, I found that churches were increasingly willing to accommodate me. The most successful and well-equipped churches asked very little of me. Or taking a page from the fast companies of the 1990s, they only asked me to do what I wanted to do anyway, I believe they called it my gift mix. It was a good thing because I was always busy. They never questioned my endless stream of purchases from widescreen TVs to new cars and they hardly raised an eyebrow when I left my first wife for a new one that better suited the person I was becoming. Indeed, with their capital campaigns and staff turnover, my churches only reinforced the central message of consumerism. There is no desire that cannot be satisfied, at least for the moment, with a purchase. With more money, my churches have been able to hire people to perform the difficult tasks from maintaining the property to performing the music that ordinary members of the church used to do in the days before consumerism became the established religion of our land. We consumers have our own doctrine of salvation by grace alone. All that is required for happiness is more money No time-consuming and humbling disciplines, no complex or unfulfilling relationships, no pain. But this is no cheap grace. As a mature and fully devoted follower, I have learned that lesson well. Getting all that money requires constant diligence. Which is why I will continue working harder, moving more often, and outsourcing anything that doesn't increase my income. Because the one thing a consumer can never, never have is enough. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are struggling with fear over money, maybe you find yourself in a similar place of not having enough. Either that's true because you literally don't know how you're going to pay your bills and feed your kids, or it's like not true, but you just feel afraid. I just want to encourage you, in the name of Jesus, to choose faithfulness to him over the fear that you feel. I believe that there is an invitation from the Lord, a word of encouragement to his people to say, I can and will provide for your most essential needs and that if we will entrust those needs to Jesus, if we will look to him, maybe what this story is trying to get us to see is that that's when we experience communion quite literally for the disciples in this story because Jesus then takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. It's communion. It's another way of saying to us though, we get to have communion with God. We get to experience the kingdom of heaven in ways that we would not otherwise. So choose today to entrust the fear or the feeling of not enough, or even the idol that you deep down know that you've made of stuff to Jesus. He wants to take it from you without condemnation or judgment, just because he loves you, he wants to set you free, amen. Here are a couple of questions for reflection for you just to think on this week, either on your own or with good people around you. Number one, When was the last time you had to rely on God for something you really needed? Just think about that to yourself. When was the last time? Secondly, in what ways have I possibly made money, stuff, an idol, controlling force in my life? take up more room, have more power than it should. Holy Spirit, will you help us, Lord? Be with us, God. Help us, Jesus, to choose to bring our needs to you now in your name, Lord, we pray. Now join me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, together and with one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, God bless you, we hope to see you soon.